0: Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world.
1: Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Kevin King, Stephen Pope, and Roland Frazier. Today, I'm speaking with Andy Hooper, the CEO of Global E-commerce Experts, and we are going to be talking a lot about how you can capitalize on the multi billion dollar UK and EU e commerce markets. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Andy, I started my business back in 2015 and I grew it to an eight figure brand in seven years, but I made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than I, it needed to. There were times where I had a lot of self doubt or whether I, I truly believe that my brand could survive or whether we could have the cash flow to continue to make that next purchase order. I wish I would have had a guide along the way to help me overcome those obstacles and and kind of see around those walls that were in front of me. So to our listeners, those of you who are running into obstacles and and plateaus and want to know the next steps to take your business to the next level, go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two Ms to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at econbreakthrough.com and in your subject line say strategy audit and then plead your case as to why I should choose you and your business to work with for this month's strategy audit. And if you don't win this month, don't worry, you'll be entered to win for future months to come. <laughs> Today, I am super excited to introduce you all to Andy Hooper. Andy is the CEO of Global E-Commerce Experts and has been successfully expanding e-commerce brands into new markets for over 15 years. He's an accomplished specialist in e-commerce. Andy works with companies around the world, providing comprehensive gateways and solutions to new markets, especially US-based organizations transitioning into Europe. Starting from the ground up, Andy has carved out a niche inspired by his own experience and success of growing an organization's profits through e-commerce. With an infectious energy for success, Andy leads a team of professionals in all aspects of e-commerce. With fulfillment centers in the UK and EU, the global e-commerce team provides hassle-free end-to-end solutions that have helped thousands of sellers capitalize on the multi-billion dollar UK and EU markets. When not working, Andy can often be found enjoying sailing, cycling, and kayaking with his friends and family on England's south coast. So with that introduction, Andy, welcome to the show.
0: Welcome. Josh, thank you very much for having us. Much appreciated.
1: I'm excited to have you, you know, dialing in across the pond, so to speak. And you have got a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Global expansion. And we had a conversation prior to hitting the record button. And what you guys do is so uniquely different than I think many of the other agencies that help people kind of expand into Europe. And you've got a wealth of knowledge that uh, I think our listeners are going to be anxious to hear. So, Andy, first of all, tell me how you kind of had the idea to start global e commerce experts.
0: Well, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs or business owners that will listen to this, I sort of fell into it. Uh, is probably the right answer. And that became for, for various different reasons. So I if I go back sort of you know, 10, 15 years, you know, I was selling products on Amazon. I was flipping things on eBay, like many people listening to this, trying to find extra ways to earn extra cash um, to be able to supplement my full time income and enjoy doing something slightly different. Uh, in two, I set up various different businesses. I've been a wedding photographer, a 3D printer, a sports consultant, um, a dog sitter, uh, a, 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 and a whole host of other things that we probably don't need to go into here. But yeah, the sort of journey into where I am today sort of is probably similar to many of you where I've tried lots of different things, some work, some didn't. I learned a lot lot along the way. But in 2016, the VAT rules changed for Amazon sellers that were based outside of Europe. Well. The rules didn't change. Amazon typically, or marketplaces, had to show due diligence to the government that they, were, they knew what the VAT numbers were for sellers. So having been being an Amazon seller, at this point, I could see this happening. I could see the forums. I could see everything that was going on. And I was like, I can see something happening here. How do I do VAT? Because that sounds like that could work really well. How do I work with businesses outside of Europe to expand them in because I'm much more of a service-based person than I am a product-based person serving someone and giving them great service and watching them grow from my, you, know, I, I used to be a sailing coach. You're watching people grow or learn or get better is what I love doing and selling products just didn't just doesn't excite me as much as a service-based business. It's just not my thing. Um, although I've done it, I understand it and and did okay. It just wasn't, that got me excited. So we came up with this idea in 2016 that we would do VAT for American sellers that were looking to expand or needed a VAT number in Europe. Um, worked with an accountant, put an accountant in house to deal with that, and off we ran. And we started the business all uh, July officially, July 2017, and uh, we've 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 been doubling every year since.
1: I love it. Uh, What a great introduction. And obviously, like what I think is interesting to point out is that you saw a deep need in the industry and then you created a solution to resolve that need. And, you know, you also identified what your core capabilities are, right? Um, For myself, like I love selling physical products like I just I love that aspect of it. I don't like SaaS businesses. I don't love. Um, you know service based businesses, um, but I really love you know offering product based businesses. And so I love that you honed in on what your core expertise is and that's I think allowed you to you know propel your business even further. But let's really dive in here, um, Andy, and talking about like the implications that this can have on our listeners that are seven figure sellers that are looking to grow to eight figures and beyond. And expanding internationally, I think, definitely has a is definitely a big lever that somebody can pull to really take their business to that next level. So, Andy, as a business owner and e-commerce entrepreneur looks at all the different levers they could pull, they could expand on TikTok, they could expand into Etsy or Walmart or retail, or they could expand globally. Like there are so many different things we could put our initiatives and our effort behind. But the most important thing is to understand which lever is going to provide an outsized return for that business. So my question to you, Andy, is what type of returns are you seeing for businesses from the U.S. that are expanding into the EU and the U.K.?
0: So you know, every brand is completely different. That's the first thing to say. You know, different brands have different levels of success, but what we see from our data um, we see data points from different points of of the customer journey. You know, we we do the compliance piece, the logistics piece, the online distribution, and because we can see the data sets on all of those, what we see is that successful e-commerce brands that are expanding to Europe and employ the right strategy should be able to see after a period of time, and this does depend on the, again coming back to the brands, they should be able to get eighty percent of their US sales. So if they're doing You know, 10 million in the US, they should be able to reach 8 million of sales in Europe with the right strategies. Now, that's going to depend on a whole load of factors. And we can get into some of those, I'm sure, further down the line. But it's about how you really maximize those opportunities. You know, when you're looking to grow your brand, you've got a million different options. And you mentioned some great ones. Do I sell on TikTok? Do I open a Shopify store? Do I sell on Walmart? Do I do? And the list obviously goes on and on and on. And it's about where you're going to see that growth and that opportunity. You know, the biggest growth for us, you know, if you, you take a typical US brand doing 10 million, you could do 8 million in Europe in the next 18 to 24 months. That's not going to be instant. It takes a bit of time. And you've got to be prepared to work with a partner that's going to be able to help you maximize what the opportunity is when it's right for your brand. Because a lot of people expand. But what they do is they go, oh, well, I need to have, I need to expand to every country in Europe. And therefore I need to be VAT registered value added tax, a bit like sales tax for the one of a different word, um, in every single country. Well, all you're going to do all of a sudden is just spend money on VAT straight away. Like you don't need to do that. So you need to make sure you get people that understand the market so you maximize the opportunity when it's right for the brand and grow the brand as it's right for the brand. Not let's just expand and throw a load of money at this. It's about doing what's right at the right time.
1: Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, um, and I like your methodical approach as to it's not just EU expansion, it's not just UK expansion. Like there is a method to the madness. Now, eighty percent of sales of what you're doing in the US, like that's a really high number. That's the highest I've I've kind of heard from somebody in terms of projections. Now, I know that's kind of you know maybe like an ideal scenario, um, but Andy, you also mentioned that every business is different, right? And so it's hard to say, like on average, like, you're gonna experience this lift in sales. So my question to you, Andy, is what type of US-based businesses or e-commerce brands are you seeing have greater success in UK and EU markets than maybe others?
0: So the, the, the two brands that we see that have success, or two, sorry, type, the, the, the brands that we see have success are, are people with two types. First of all, they're doing over £5 million in, in their home market. That's a really good starting point. You can start below that, but realistically, you need time, resource, or cash, and, or a mixture of all of those in order to make it work. So you need to be able to invest in products. You need to be able to invest in your expansion. You need to be able to, and I can use the word invest again, but you see where I'm going. You need to be able to have the ability to be able to make that happen. Right, it takes some resource to make that happen, and whether that resource is time, cash, or 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 anything else, is is what it's about. So that's the first thing. So brands that are already doing probably over five million pound are perfectly suited for this. If you're doing under that, you can do it. It's just a little bit harder work because you haven't actually made your home market you uh, you. And I'm not saying a success because that would be unkind to people doing under five million because, because actually. Over a million, a million a million, in sales is epic. You know, you should be patting yourself on the back because you're doing a great job. But it's about having the resource, cash, and time to be able to make that happen above that. So that's why it's over five million. The second part is those that have got a brand. You know, it's not about buying some products and then flipping them. It's not about white labeling a product unless it's different or it's unique in some way. It's about having a brand that can be built globally the people buy into to make sure that you when you're expanding it's a unique product now that could be a white label product that's white labeled in a unique way i'm not saying you shouldn't white you expand with white label products and and i guess the third one i'm going to throw in is that if you don't expand your brand someone will take that and sell it in that market so you know if they then decide that okay you've got widget one and you only sell it in the u.s I'm going to think, well, that's a great product. I'm going to sell widget 1A in the UK and Europe because, quite honestly, you don't have an IP for it over here and your factory will make it for me as much as they will you and I'm going to put it in a different box. Now, I might do a better or worse job than you, but if I was to do a better job and I was to put that into Europe, then I was to put that into Africa, then I was to put that into China, then I was to put that into South America, actually the global footprint of sales is very, very high. For me to then come and take over the U.S. market because I've got now I've got the cash and investment to do it would be quite simple. So the three ones are, one, make sure you've got the, the cash investment time to do it. Secondly, make sure you've got a decent brand. And thirdly, do it because you want to make and protect your brand.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that is a great rundown. I think some great criteria to provide people with some you know guidelines as to how they should be viewing this expansion, whether it is right for them. I have another follow up question on that. No, Andy, do you see any particular like product categories succeeding well over others? For example, I mean, everybody loves their pets, right? But is like the US like uniquely, you know, obsessed with pets compared to the UK market? Or is it supplements, right? Workout supplements really do well in the US, but they don't really have as much traction in the EU for whatever reason, right? Are there any examples that way? like? particular product categories that you see succeeding and others not doing as well?
0: So the, the downside to Europe is there's 28 countries. With 28 countries, there's 28 different variations of exactly what you've just said. So every country is slightly different. The advantage is, is there's 550 million people. So the, 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 the ability to get your product to you know, far greater numbers than in, in, you know, in the U.S. market is possible. But with that downside is the 28 countries. Every single one of those countries is slightly different. The things that we saw working really well two years ago aren't working so well now because we're in a different economy. You know, the, we, we were seeing games, board games selling hugely well during COVID. Well, everyone wants to be outside now. We're then seeing stand up paddle boards, water, hot tubs, all of those things become really, really popular. We're now seeing supplements. Supplements were very popular during the sort of COVID period, but have continued being popular. I mean, supplements is probably our biggest, largest growing area of all types of supplement. You know, anything you can think of, um, we've probably got sellers that are expanding with supplements of various types. I would say that the growth of supplements in Europe is far greater than it is anywhere else. In the US, the market is, is established for supplement sellers, I think would be a right word. You know, it's commonplace yeah. to be selling supplements. People understand it and people get it in Europe. They're a little bit further back than that. They're not, they, they see it as, Oh, we should be doing that. But I would say that it's a fast, it's probably the fastest growing um, category. Yeah, Pets is always going to be popular because people spend more money on their pets in certain countries in Europe. So the UK, definitely Germany, definitely France, definitely. But some of the more Eastern European countries, you don't spend as much on pets. Mm. just isn't a done thing. You as you move further East and Southeast, less and less will be spent on pets, but more and more will be spent on outdoor stuff. You won't sell any ski stuff as soon as you start getting down to Greece, but you'll sell more of it as you move, move North. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there, there isn't a one size fits all. It's very, very seasonal. Um, or you can have, you Seasons, but again, different parts of Europe have different seasons at different times. Yeah, it's the beauty of Europe that you one day you can be skiing and the next day you can be in you know forty degree heat. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I know the US isn't too dissimilar to that. You're used to it being just one country. You know, yeah. you, you could, I could, I could, in half an hour from here today, I could be in France. You know, completely different culture, completely different ethos, everything else. Yeah, and that's what we deal with. In in the US, you in half an hour you wouldn't even get to one side of a city to the other, let alone a different country. Um, yeah. So there, so the answer is there's not one cat. I mean, supplements is the fastest growing category I see at the moment. Pets go well, so it's about understanding what your product is and doing market research to understand what that looks like.
1: Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Now, an additional follow up question to that is do you ever work with brands that have to actually maybe even change some of their products to actually fit um, the particular market that they are trying to go into, whether it be Spain or France, Germany, the UK, such as like the product wording. Um, Let's take like a daily planner, for example, right? Somebody has a daily planner that's working well in the US. Um, One example is, you know, I think in the U.S., a lot of people like to view their calendar starting in Sunday on Sunday, right? Like if you lay out the week, but in yep. other countries, they want to see the week laid out starting in Monday. Yep. And it's little nuances like that where that international expansion becomes a little bit more cumbersome. Um, you know, do you still see that as valuable? If you need to tweak your product accordingly, and do you have any experiences working with brands to they actually have to invest time in? Actually, create a new SKU to serve this EU UK market.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of our clients that are US based typically have to change their product in some way. Mm. So that could be an electrical product. The plug's different. The plug's different in the UK yep. and the plug's different in Europe. So, straight away, if you take that piece alone, you sell an electrical product, the plugs need to be different. Yep. If you're selling a product in you, fulfilling it from certain places in the world, it's different countries. It needs to be translated. Certainly the uh, health, let's call it the health and safety part of the label needs to be changed, right? Needs to be read in that country so people can read it. So there are different things that need to be done. So, you know, you need to make sure that the, let's call it the product compliance, along with use of product, is right for the market. And you're right exactly there with the example you gave, the planner. You know, the UK and Europe, we essentially speak the same language. But words are very different. So, you know, if we talk about pants, you know, in the US, I talk about pants. In the UK, they're trousers. Mm. Now, if we talk about pants in the UK, that's briefs. You So if you start talking about pants, I'm thinking about my briefs, not my trousers, (laughs) you know? And all of a sudden, you get yourself in this situation where you need to make sure you understand the language. And obviously, in German, that's something different, and French and so on. So yep. you're right. The product does need to tweak in certain places. And there's, we, we do this in three stages because when you're expanding your brand from a, from a, you know, a consultant's viewpoint, you want to make, make sure you're maximizing the product, the opportunity, and everything else. So when you're expanding to the UK, you can make some minor tweaks. When you then expand to Germany, you can make a couple of minor more tweaks. You know, do you need a specific product in those markets? The answer is possibly. Mm. Right? So you have a UK product, a European product, and that all then comes down to, okay, do I need to get my products made and then distributed directly into that region? So let's take an electrical product. You know, you would have a UK product made with the distributor. Now, wherever you're getting it made in China, we'll be able to put a UK plug on a European plug and a US plug, right? Nope. They will all be able to do that. Virtually every factory you have will be able to do that. No problem at all. But will they have the right certification to stamp the plug to say that it's certified to the regulations in that country. Mm. So in the UK, is it UKCA marked in Europe? Is it C E marked? And obviously in the U S what markings does that need on? You know, there's a whole load of different things. So it's about understanding what tweaks and changes can you make to the product s- simply because you can overthink this stuff. Yeah. And as business owners, you, you want to have that 80, 20 rule. You want to get speed to market yeah. without Going through you, know, what you know, do I need to do everything? No, you don't need to do everything, but you need to make you do need to do some fundamental changes to make sure it's compliant. And following on from that, what you then need to do is make sure that you can maximize the sales to the biggest market from day one and then build the brand out step by step.
1: Yeah. All right, Andy. I'm already, as a brand owner, I'm already overwhelmed with the amount of complexities that you have to think through with all of this, right? Yeah. I mean, this is definitely in this conversation. I'm already understanding like this is not something I can go alone at. I have no idea what the French market needs, nor the, the, you know, the Spain market or Germany. I might have been a tourist and had visited those countries, but But creating a product, (laughs) right, that actually meets the needs of those customers is a whole other um, animal in and of itself. So my question here, Andy, is. How do you kind of guide a brand through this process so that it is less overwhelming and cumbersome and as easy as a process as it potentially can be to capitalize on all of the e-commerce opportunity in the UK and EU?
0: So we, we've worked with over 2,000 clients now, and that's between our VAT, our warehousing, our account management, all the different pieces that we, we, we deal with. And having done that, what we were able to do is identify what worked and what didn't work and where we engage with a seller in the right way, the wrong way, you know, how did that help the brand grow, et cetera. So what we were able to do was come up with a success pathway. What does an expansion pathway look like? And what does it mean that you need to go through? Now, we came up with a seven-step process that you need to go through. And of that seven-step process, there was a 30, 30 things you need to do. But I'm going to break it down into three to make it a little bit quicker and easier for people to understand, because it doesn't matter whether you're expanding to the UK and Europe or whether you're expanding to Canada or India or Australia or Japan or UAE. Actually, if you can solve these three things, it's about working with partners that can help you to do these three things and making it as easy as possible. So the three things are compliance. You split compliance into two areas, business compliance and product compliance. So business compliance to put it to put it in a nice way look if you're selling products in a country the government wants to thank you for you selling the product in that country that's called tax so the bottom line is you're going to need to pay some tax when you're wherever you're selling your products from that's the bottom line you need to work with someone who understands the tax in that region and can solve that for you the second part is your product compliance product compliance comes under three pieces first of all Understand what regulations your product falls under in that region. Secondly, make sure the product meets those regulations in that region. And thirdly, make sure the labeling on the product is compliant with the regulations in that region. And there are two things you need to consider. Now, off the back of it, there's another 25 things you could look at. But they're the real basics that you need to master in any expansion. So that's compliance. The second one is logistics. You need to work out how you're going to get your stuff from the factory into a warehouse that could be direct to Amazon's warehouse or to a 3PL in the region and distribute it to your customers. That could be B2B to FBA, or it could be direct to consumer because you're fulfilling from different marketplaces. Obviously in there, you need to think about returns, reworks, customs, um, a host of other things, but you need to make sure that you're working with a logistics provider that can solve those bits for you in that region and understands how it works in that region. So let's take organic, for example. You know, if you've got organic plastered all over your product, one, is it compliant with organic regulations in the region we've already sort of touched on? Is that warehouse organic? Is that, you can you ship it with an organic producer? Can you, what does the customs look like? So lots of things you have to consider. And then the third piece is the online distribution. Where are you going to sell it? Which channels which will give you the biggest bang for buck, biggest return on investment, and which ones strategically are right for you in which country. So, you know, realistically, let's take, let's say you're already selling on Amazon in the US. Well, to sell on Amazon in Europe would be a relatively straightforward and simple thing to do. If you're selling on Amazon in, in, the, in the US, but you decide you want to sell on eBay in Europe, it's a pretty thankless task because you, you don't already understand it. So you've got to take the quick, easy wins OK, well, I do that. So I'll do that there and then make sure that I'm working with someone that understands my supplements sell much better in France on CD discount than they do on bold.com in the Netherlands. And it's those sort of intricacies you then need to make sure you're working with people to get you to the 80 percent.
1: Yeah, man, there is a lot that goes into that. But I love that three part framework that you kind of, uh, you know, really boiled it down to like, here are the three essential things that you need to consider going into any market, not just the UK or the EU. And I think that gives, uh, I think, some great guidelines and guideposts for our listeners to think about what needs to happen here. I think one of the most important things that I want to highlight from what you said there, Andy, is, you know, which specific country should we start with? Instead of just looking at the over bigger task of, you know, Hey, I need to do EU expansion. That's overwhelming. If you can narrow it down and say like, actually the best country for my product and it is going to be Germany. And here's why, you know, obviously looking at keyword search volume and what products are currently on Amazon. Is that something that you help um, guide your brand through is kind of doing those keyword research analyses to be like, yeah, let's not go to Spain because nobody's searching this search term in Spain, but tons of people are in Germany, for example.
0: Yeah, so we have, um, we've got a team of growth managers and account managers that support our clients of all those different things. But you know, coming back to what we've already said, you know, depend on that product is going to vary. But what I see is the most typical that our clients typically do is they expand into three markets first, and that's the UK, Germany and the Netherlands. I'll come to the Netherlands in a moment why that's important. But the UK and Germany, between them, account for two-thirds of all sales on Amazon mm. in Europe. So if you're an Amazon seller, it makes perfect sense to open up on, in the UK and Germany. They're the most active e-commerce markets as a rule. So it's not just Amazon-focused. That could be you know, your Shopify site or whatever else you're working on. So that those two are key because it gives you access instantly to one, the UK market, you'll understand that because you speak. You, know, if you're coming from the US, you'll understand. your know, English, you'll be able to work with that, no problems. Germany is a is a step to the, is step to the right with a foreign language. If you haven't already done Spanish in in the US, so you can then look at okay, Germany's the next biggest market. Let's do that next. Now, the reason I say the Netherlands is because it's a strategic location from a logistics point of view. Everyone, and I mean everyone ships all of their products into the Netherlands and distributes from there. Mm. So what happens is by shipping into the Netherlands, you can have a warehouse facility or 3PL facility in the Netherlands and distribute from there. What it does, it does two things. If you are an Amazon seller, you can, you can ship across the border into Germany and you're thinking, or some people will be thinking, why don't I just ship to Germany? Well, just Google shipping e-commerce shipping to Germany and just look at the forums. I don't, I don't need to say any more about that. <laughs> so what you need to do is focus on how you can make that happen easily. So you ship into the Netherlands, you distribute into FBA, if that's what you're doing into, into Germany, and then you can distribute direct to consumer from the Netherlands to every other country across Europe simply and easily. Mm. Now, if you want a next day delivery across the whole of Europe, you'll need a slightly different service. But when you're expanding initially and you need proof of concept to make sure it's going to work, you don't need next day delivery across the whole of Europe. You yep. need to be able to get the products in the hands of customers in a in a two to three day time frame across the whole of Europe is more than good enough. You know, that's the way to deal with it. So so that that's that answer is you know, when typically when people expand, UK Germany and the Netherlands, UK and Germany accounts for two-thirds of all sales, and the Netherlands is a strategic location to uh do your logistics from.
1: I love that. I hope our listeners, you know called out or pointed out that hack. And I think gold nugget that you just shared um, that the Netherlands is a strategic position. I've actually never heard that. Uh, Maybe I'm new to that game, but I think that is so, so important. Um, And again, why somebody should work with an expert like yourself that understands the entire game and and oversees everything. Um, Andy, I want to ask you, like, do you have any case studies that you could share with us of? some brands you don't have to call out specific brand names but some examples of somebody that was doing well in the u.s and some of the results that they saw um by expanding internationally and give us a few case studies
0: yeah so there's a couple of really good case studies you know one will be a card game that you will probably have heard of who was a kickstarter campaign did really really well in the u.s And then because of the Kickstarter campaign, they had sales in some of those other countries. Using that data, they were like, oh, that seems interesting. Where do we want to expand to next? So it was a slightly different, it wasn't a e-commerce Amazon first starter or it wasn't a let's build a brand slowly. It was a Kickstarter, this this specific one. Uh, And what they then saw is that they were able to, I mean, they went through our process and actually these were one of the ones that we actually piggybacked some of our key learnings from because they were so successful, you know, they got to a nine figures in the u s and they they're sort of probably they're not quite nine figures here yet across the whole of Europe, but I would say they're certainly getting close to the sixty to eighty percent of that um and obviously, the bigger the brand, the harder that becomes to get to the eighty percent, of course, so you know the things that they did is they 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 understood the market research so they 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 could see where sales were happening based on their Kickstarter campaign so they could open up, do different online distribution in different countries based on that. They obviously got the business compliant and the product compliant, relatively straightforward, although they had to make sure their products were translated. It's a card game. You've got to be able to read it in the language you're going to expand the brand to, aren't you? So, you know, yes, the Kickstarter campaign was just in English, but then what happened is, is they wanted to scale that brand they needed to make those games in Spanish, Italian, French, and so mm.
1: on. So they actually had to change the product. Like they're going in there and, you know, having to make sure that the, the wording is correct on the game itself, updating the individual designs possibly on, on those cards, right? Um, yeah. A and, lot of effort, uh, but it sounds like it's, it's been successful. I'll let you continue.
0: Yeah, no, and 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 the brand is a what I call a cheeky brand. There's humour involved in the brand and getting that humour into different cultures yeah. is really really tough. You, that that's the the bit they sort of they they sort of plateaued on, if you like. So they they grew their sales. They realised they couldn't get any sales. They could continue growing sales, but how do they get their sales to the next level? And it was about that culture fit in each region next and having distribution both for D to C. And obviously, they're an Amazon seller, so they, they sold through that network. Mm. And then as they continued to grow that brand, they then moved into distribution. So how could they work with distributors in different parts of, the, the, of Europe in order to get the products into harder-to-reach areas? So parts of Eastern Europe or Southern Europe that was more difficult, they worked with distributors to get that extra little bit of reach. And for me, that, that's a, probably one of the key successes we've seen. And other ones, you know, give, I'll give one quick other one yeah. where, you know, they were a, they're a large uh, brand that spo- now sponsors a lot of baseball games, I believe, that's for trimming man's hair. And they, uh, they expanded to YouTube It was a very, very slow start. And they built on the brand element, the influencer element, and then scaled the brand out from there. Um, and actually what we see from that is actually certain parts of Europe have zero interest in that whatsoever. Just not interested. But other parts of Europe are probably more bought into as a percentage than than other markets. You know, I, I don't know what the percentage is in the US, for example, but the UK will probably be matching it as a percentage. You know, Germany will be matching it. It's, Italy will be above average. Mm. France will be below average, but still be there. Spain won't care, mm. you know? So there are different markets. So that one had the success, but had to sort of foul in a couple of markets to understand the culture and why it works and why it didn't.
1: Yeah. I'm curious on that note, you know, you talk about the card game example, having success and the amount of time and effort that they would have had to have undertaken to translate everything because this is a card game and then it was humor based. And so, you know, US based humor probably doesn't apply to, you know, 100% the UK and vice versa, like you've got to really dive into the minds of those people. Um, So this is an extensive amount of effort. And it sounded like with the previous case study, um, with the hair trimming, like it didn't go over well in every single um, country. So the question is this, how can a brand, you know, maybe they're just doing 5 million. They're not a nine figure US based brand with unlimited funds. They're still a bootstrapped company. How can they test out all of these different markets, especially if they need to invest a lot of time kind of redesigning a product in order to fit different countries. Um, what would be your recommendation to somebody with a brand like that uh, before they s- spend 28 different, uh, you know, iterations creating different products for each different country?
0: Well, I think it comes back to that 80-20 rule I, I talked about earlier. You know, 80% is the expansion and making it happen. The 20% is making fine tuning it as you go. With any business, anyone that doing, you know, bootstrap business, you know, our our business is completely bootstrapped. There's no VC money, there's none of that. It's all bootstrapped. We've been profitable from day one and we're just grinding it out, like many of you listening right now. And I think that, you know, what you need to think about is, okay, I need to take action and make something happen first and foremost. So actually, the expansion is first of all, I need to do something and you can overcomplicate things by thinking about it. Mm. The best thing to do is work with a partner that can talk you through it to how to make it easy, not sell you everything that you, that you'll need in a year or two or three years time that can give you a strategy on based on your product. This is what we would do. Your expansion needs to be in the UK and Germany first. These are the things you need to do. This keeps your costs down. You want to make sure that you're maximizing the money in the business from a cash flow point of view, very important in e-commerce to make sure you can get the products to, reinvest in more stock and to invest in advertising to get sight on the product. Yeah, you know, we all know sales velocity is key. You know, yes, everything can have a different, um, algorithm, but the bottom line is sales velocity is the key to selling your products. So whatever way you carve that up, you've got to pay for some advertising in some way, in some yeah. form. So, you know, when you expand, it's about having the cash to reinvest in the products to get more stock and everything else. And if you're, thinking about that, you five million pound seller, you know, you've got 50 grand, let's, let's take $50,000 or pounds, doesn't really matter at this stage to invest in your expansion. You know, some of that's going to need to go on actually expanding. You know, you're going to need to invest in product compliance, label compliance, you VAT, you logistics, all that sort of stuff. But the second thing is you're going to need to invest in your products. Uh, A lot of brands we see at the moment that are expanding are ones that can take the product they've got in the US, they're overstocked and they can expand with that. They've already got the product. What do you need to do to tweak and change that product to Mm -hmm. expand with it? Because if you're overstocked because the logistics network was screwed, we didn't sell as much in Q4 as we were anticipating because of COVID and all those little things that go on with that, you might be able to just expand with the brands you've got. And I think, you know, making sure that people don't do expand but don't stop you start thinking about it too much. Because if you do think about it, you'd be like, well, that seems a headache. That seems a headache. That seems a headache. What you actually need to do is talk to someone that understands the market, understand, speak to someone that understands your product in broad terms, or knows people who've got similar products that could go, these are the things you need to do. This is how much it's going to cost you. We're in a expansion business. So we will say to you, based on what you do, based on what you do, the investment in order in our services to, Enable the expansion to happen is going to be ten thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars a year without knowing. I don't know, but the average investment cost expansion cost is ten thousand set up. Off the back of that, you're only going to sell, you're only going to pay for what you sell. So, if you need a 3PL, for example, you're going to pay what you use, yeah, you know, that's going to be relative to what you sell. Um, you know, shipping is only going to be relative to what you sell or ship. So there are a lot of variables in there, but yeah. you know, to expand our average initial expansion cost, I'm happy to, you know, you know is anywhere between probably, it's probably $15,000, you know, so in order to get you set up to expand is $15,000 for you to get set up. You know, if you want all the bells and whistles, yeah, it'll cost you $40,000, yeah. but that's going to depend on you as a brand to enable that, you know? So if you're sat there thinking, how do I maximize the opportunity? It's not really that much to expand. Like everyone thinks it's overcomplicated. It's not overcomplicated. It's not expensive if you've got the right people by your side.
1: Yeah, I love that. Andy, you summed everything up really, really well right there. One final question I want to ask you on this topic is if you were to predict what things are going to look like with Amazon in the UK and EU over the next five to 10 years, what do you see changing? What do you see coming to fruition? in the European market for Amazon?
0: Okay, well, I have a bit of a theory. And my theory is that, well, and history repeats itself. So my theory is that whilst Amazon might be the biggest today, I'm not convinced it's going to be the biggest in 10 years' time. I have no idea. History tells us, though, the biggest companies go through cycles, and we know that, will it be there in 10 years' time? Of course it'll be there. Will it be the biggest in 10 years? I've got no idea. Uh, but history tells us that the long term play it won't be. We know that in probably twenty or thirty years, there's going to be other people that have overtaken that for whatever reason. Now, if I then come back to so, so t- five or ten years out for me is way too far. Um, if I come more to the more macro, more sort of let's let's go in the next three to five years, if that's all right. Fair I enough. reckon that what we're going to see is that you know, Amazon will keep a foothold and open more marketplaces in more countries. At the moment, it's only got although it's European-based, there's it only 10 marketplaces. It's only open in 10 countries, although okay. all the other 18 countries can buy from that mar- those marketplaces. So they're going to open up 18 more online stores in country-specific, 100%. That'll mean the products will get into more people's hands. The biggest play for Europe is about how you maximize the play. And at, whilst Amazon's the biggest in certain countries, it's the biggest in the UK – it's not necessarily the biggest in all the other countries. So mm. in, in the Netherlands, it's bold.com. In France, it's CD discount. In Germany, it's Royal and Otto, depending on where you look. In mm. Poland and for Eastern Europe, it's Alandro. So there are all these different marketplaces actually do much more in the home market than what Amazon does. So it's about how you get your products onto those as an omni-channel approach. And again, to get to the 80%, you've got to do the omni-channel approach. There's no other way of doing it unless okay. your product just flies in, in, in Amazon. Like you know, And that happens. Of course it does. But yeah. realistically, you've got to have an omni-channel approach, and you've got to be able to maximize all those opportunities with the right partner that can guide you through that or can say, you know, you, you, you've got your products in our warehouse. Sign up to it. If you don't sell anything, you haven't lost anything. You know, there's also mileage in that.
1: I love that, Andy. You've given some great insight um, to all of this. I, you've shared a wealth of wisdom and actual practical strategies that can help a seven-figure seller scale to eight figures and beyond with this international expansion. Now, as we wrap things up here, Andy, I love to leave the audience with three actionable takeaways from every episode. Here are the three action items that I noted, Andy let me know if you think I'm missing something. Step number one is if you have not crossed $5 million in US-based sales, I would probably continue to double down on your efforts in the US market. And And in kind of relation to that, I would say, make sure you're building an actual brand amongst those sales. So don't just say, hey, I've got three brands and in total, we do $10 million, but Each of them are at about $3 million each because you're going to need to come to the international market with an actual brand. And so that would be action item number one is like keep the hustle and grind going with a brand in the U.S. market until you cross that $5 million mark. I think that's a great guideline. Step number two is there are a lot of different. There's a lot of noise out there in terms of international expansion. Here's the biggest action item. Find a mentor and a guide that can provide the expertise that you need to make that international expansion happen. We talked a lot about a lot of different topics and a lot of watchouts, product compliance, uh, business compliance. All of those things need to be taken into consideration. Find a guide that has been there, done that. So that's action item number two. And then action item number three is what you said earlier, Andy, is like, you just got to do it like there's so instead of, uh, you know, getting caught up in analysis uh, per <laughs> paralysis, paralysis by analysis, yeah. vice versa, <laughs> um, instead of just getting caught up in, like there's so much I need to consider. I need to make sure I have all my ducks in a row. That's why you lean on that mentor and just take your step forward. Take one step forward. You don't know exactly what's going to happen, but you will never know if a huge opportunity is on the other side of that door if you don't at least knock and put your foot forward. So those are my simple action items and strategies that people should be taking away from today's episode. Andy, do you think I'm missing anything or would you add anything to those notes?
0: No, I mean, I I think the biggest one for any business owner is to take action and make stuff happen. You know, I'm a big believer that, you know, you, you sit and dwell on stuff and actually if you sit and dwell on it in a year's time, you'll be like, I should have done that. My competitors now done it. You've got to take the action. In order to make it, you know, if you want to scale a brand or scale, scale a business, it doesn't, you know, you have to take action. You have to be prepared to go through those that that action to make things happen. You know, I totally agree that you need you know, a mentor, coach, whatever you want to call it within your business in various forms. You know, some of those things are very popular. You know, but you need someone that's done it. You know, we we we're in a position to be able to support people with that. We are your guide, hence the success pathway. You know, what does that look like? Here's the framework yeah. and. For those that want to expand, you can take the three things away that you, know, compliance, logistics, and online distribution. They're the three things you've got to double down on and think on about if I'm going to expand, whether it be to Mexico, Canada, Australia, Europe, doesn't matter. They're the three things you've got to now, and you've got to understand those before you do it. And you can just mark,
1: make some notes. I love it. Well said. All right, Andy, I love to ask each guest the following three questions at the end of each episode. So let's start with number one. What has been the most influential book that you've read and why?
0: So I've read hundreds of books. Uh, I've, uh, well, when I say read, I've listened to hundreds of books. Uh, I, I, I'm not very good at reading uh, actual books, but I spend a lot of time listening to books in the gym, on bike rides, on the car, wherever else. And I think that whilst there's lots of different books, there are different types of books out there that work for different people. And I think that the number one thing that people should consider when they're growing a business, you can have all the best websites, you can have all the best staff members, you can have the start do it now, you can have all the rest of it. But the number one thing that I think that people need is sales and marketing. How do you understand who your customer is? How do you know where they are? And how do you get them in order to grow your business? So I remember when I first started out a business I was going through different learnings and everything else. And the and the series of books that stuck with me, whilst we don't do this in-house, is so Russell Brunson, ClickFunnels, there's are there's sort of three books that he's got dot com secrets, expert secrets, um, and and traffic secrets. Now, whilst I don't necessarily have click funnels, it's not part of what we use for our business. You know, actually the methodology, the process, the simple pieces of know your customers, know where they are, know where to go and find them, and to pull stuff together is exactly right and there's probably the books that i've read three or four times at different points, not necessarily from a funnel generation point of view, but from a marketing and sales point of view to understand okay, how do people look for stuff, how do people where do people go you know not how to sell, you know, sell to one person. Okay, I'm trying to you know, buy my stuff, but more from a marketing-led point of view, you know, and I think that you've got to have different opinions and everyone's going to have a different opinion whether that's going to work for them or not. You, you, the self-development stuff is always going to be important. You know, how do you, you know, get up in the morning, join a 5 a.m. club and smash out a day? You know, always going to be important. But for me, having someone that you can listen to that resonates both in the book, podcast or whatever else, for me, that was important. That, that ability to talk about marketing, how you're thinking about the customer at all times.
1: Yeah, I love that. Those books I would highly recommend as well, even if, you know, it, taking the principles away from them, even if you're not selling on ClickFunnels specifically. All right, exactly let's, let's go to question number two. What is your favorite productivity or software tool that you've recently been using that you feel like has been a game changer?
0: So... I think the number one tool we used as we were scaling was Trello. Trello was a really easy place to put business plans, strategies, um, lists for t- clients, a whole load of different things, really easy and simple. We use this really, really well. Um, and you, yeah, for me, Trello was probably the game changing piece of software that to be fair, we use very little now because we have, CRM software uh, you yeah, know more software than we probably really need or want but it's all integrated with that type of stuff but yep. Trello for me was the number one hack that helped me to scale the business that I used it was free that we yep. still use broadly today that for anyone listening thinking well I don't really want to pay for a CRM or I don't really want to pay for you know, some project management software or I don't want to you know actually Trello does all of that really really well really simply And it's easy to use. And I think that's the important thing. It's easy to use for people. So that's my number one software that we use to help us scale and grow. And for me, the listeners here are wanting to scale and grow. Hence why I use that one.
1: I like it. That is a great tool and recommendation. I've used that as well. All right. Our third and final question here, Andy, is who is somebody that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space that you would recommend our listeners uh, should be following and why?
0: So. I think that one of the key, there's a lot of influencers in e-commerce. Some know what they're talking about. Some don't know what they're talking about. And we've all been byproduct of that somewhere along the line. The ones that talk lots, in my experience, are the ones that aren't doing. So it's about making sure you've just got a balance of how much is this person doing, how much is this person not doing, what are they doing, and what can you see they're doing, what are the tactics they're making in order to grow and scale their business. So one of the ones that I've taken over the years is uh, there's a VAT company here in the UK completely competes with what we do. But the so it's called a Vask Accounting and Business Consultants. I think a VASC. Many mm-hmm. people have they've done VAT selling through Amazon will probably have heard of them. And you, know, the owners of that, uh, Melanie and Angelos. Uh, whilst there's two people, but they're you know, they're sort of the business owners. You know what they've done strategically for their business to grow it has worked really, really well. They don't shout loads on LinkedIn. They don't do loads of stuff. There's certainly people that if you get the opportunity to speak to and listen to, you should do. They've got a wealth of experience in e-commerce, totally understand the markets and have grown a really successful business. And one of the things I think that business owners certainly in e-commerce are guilty of doing, they, they like to talk to people just in e-commerce doing e-commerce. The reality is, an e-commerce brand is a logistics business, is a brand business, is an SEO business, mm-hmm. is a you know, distributor, and goodness knows whatever else. Yeah. So understanding and talking to people outside of e-commerce in those different sectors to understand what's going on is really, really important. You can learn more probably from some people outside of the industry than you can in, in some ways, unless you're talking to the really right people like yourself, Josh. You know, It's about making sure you're listening to those different people. So in the industry, I would say, that What that company is doing, what that, that team is doing, is something that people should follow and listen and, and look into. Although they're a competitor of ours, there's so many e-commerce sellers, it doesn't matter. Like I love you know, it. It's, so that, that's what I would recommend.
1: I love it. Andy, great guidelines uh, as usual. Andy, as we conclude here, where can people go to learn more about you, follow your journey? And then secondly, if people want to utilize your services, if they need that guide, or that mentor, or that expert to help them guide to help guide them in this EU-UK expansion, how can they reach out to you and find you?
0: Nice. So the best way to get hold of me is LinkedIn. Just go to Andy Hooper, into LinkedIn, and I'm pretty certain I'm going to come up in one form or another. So that's where you can get me from, from that description. From a business point of view, we successfully expand e-commerce brands globally. Now, we have a key focus on Europe, but we can advise and support in other areas of the world. But if you want to grow and expand your brand. The best place to do this, there's two things you do. You can go to our website and on our website, you can download our seven-step guide on how to successfully expand. There is no wall behind it. You haven't got to put your email address in and there's no clickbait to you know, put your email address and all the rest of it in. I fundamentally believe that when you're ready to expand, you want the people that can help and support you. We are the right choice and you'll, you'll come to us. So you can go to our website, which is Global Dot com, uh, And you can, you can obviously Google us uh, and you'll find us. But to download the seven-step guide, it's our website, forward slash podcast, and you'll find the seven-step guide there. Uh, I mean, you can go to, if you listen to a podcast, you can go to our podcast, Global Expander Secrets, and you'll be able to listen to our podcast that gives you all of the information on how to expand. We don't hold anything back. We teach people how to expand because we believe that everyone should take their brand globally, but we believe they should do that when it's right for them, not pre-described by anyone else. So go and get all the information from our podcast. It's on YouTube and all the rest of it as well. But just look for globally commerce experts.
1: Awesome. Andy, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today.
0: Josh, thank you very much for having us. Uh, Thanks for listening and hopefully we'll help people expand in the near future.
1: Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com
0: for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.